September 29th, 2022, we're in Masechet and Dafhe Amud Bet, three lines from the bottom. The first word on the line is Tanya. But before we begin with that, let's very briefly talk about three halachot, or three statements we saw in the Gemara in the last time that we studied together. The first of those was just a few lines up. It's the second, or the first wide line. It says, Ben Safon Darom. If you recall, the Gemara cited a Beraitan, which Abba bin Yamin talked about important things that he was uh, very careful uh, to observe and be scrupulous with over the course of his life. And one of those was that his bed was placed in between north and south. It has to do with the head and the foot of the bed. Rashi explained the Shekhinah, basing himself on Divrei HaChamim, we envision as residing primarily in some respect to the west. As a result, inappropriate, said Rashi, that Bisha'at Tashmish, during time of relations, your bed be facing Kivyachol the Shekhinah. Rashi based himself on the Gemara afterwards, which seems to talk about Tashmish specifically. Uh, does that mean, therefore, that our beds must be positioned in such a fashion in between north and south? In truth, if you look at Shohan Aruch and Siman Gimal Sa'if Vav, writes Vechen, and so too, Asur Lishan ben Mizrah Lema'arav im Ishto Imo. Statement in Shohan Aruch is if your wife is together with you, the assumption you're going to be involved with relations of some sort, you should make certain, because it's Asur to be lying in the bed, to be sleeping if it's positioned between east and north, east and uh, west. And it's best to even be careful and uh, observe this. Even if your wife is not with you, that's a Maran basing himself on his understanding of the words of Harambam. That's the statement. Is everyone careful about this today? I think not. I would suggest along the lines of several other reasons why, maybe not, but in Mishnah Berran, Sa'if Yod Aleph, he cites from Rabbeinu Menachem Azariah. Rabbeinu Menachem Azariah, otherwise known as Ramat Mithano, was an important Italian Kabbalist who lived several hundred years ago. He cites from Zohar, his understanding of Zohar, because there happens to be dispute about this as well. He says from Zohar, Parashat B'Midbar, Quite the opposite. The bed should be in between east and west. Why so? He says, And he says that uh, ideally your head should be in the direction of the West. Why so? If I remember correctly, it's because the Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin describes how Adam Harishon, first uh, human being, according to the Torah, was uh, uh, created from the West, which was Bavil of sort at, sorts at the time. That's, if I remember correctly, the context of that Zohar. When, when you add up the pieces over here, it means we have a direct and blatant contradiction between uh, whether the bed should be between the North and the South, or the bed should be between the East and the West, and as a result, the truth is, in this uh, Kafa Hayim, he suggests that similar to Ramat Mipano, just the opposite. Your head should be in the east and your feet in the west. Regardless of how you slice it, ultimately speaking, this is just far from simple, and we have contradictory statements about how your bed should be positioned. In truth, the Gemara is not altogether clear, because the Gemara just says the mitah should be netuna ben safon ledarom. What does it mean that it should be? But we were assuming, as Rashi told us, that the head and, and foot should be in the north or south. Uh, alternatively, it means the width of the bed. 
when I lie down, the width of the bed should go from north to south, which means my head and feet are in east and west. The Gemara is not at all clear with regards to this. We have a mahloke between, call it the Pashtanim Rashi, and the Mekubalim Zohar, Arizal, Ramat Mifano. As a result, to the best of my knowledge, people, generally speaking, are not per se scrupulous one way or another because... Best way to say it, either way you slice it, you're fulfilling one of the opinions. If you were to be scrupulous and careful about one of these opinions, which one should it be? There's no consensus, consensus on that either. Well, generally speaking, we say you go with Peshat, you go with Shohan Aruch, over the Mekubalim. Over here, it's hard to say that the Gemara is per se sided with one over the other. Again, the matter is far from simple and as a result... Uh, to the best of my knowledge, Rov Am Yisrael are not makpid per se on this halacha. Onward in the Gemara, if you recall, two lines down in the wide lines, we had the statement, Minayin lamit palel, shelo davar ben ben hakir. It's uh, necessary for, uh, to make certain that a person doesn't have anything being hosetz, anything separating between themselves and the kir and the wall. What sort of halacha is that? What would the reason and rationale be for that? Shohan Aruch and Siman Sadi quotes this as the halakha. Shohan Aruch and Siman Sadi says that the halakha is you're not allowed to have anything being choses in Tur in Siman Sadi Chet. He suggests the reason is because our prayer, of course, is similar, uh, if not in place of korbanot. Korbanot had halachot of hasisa. You weren't allowed to have anything separate between your hand and the utensil in korbanot, anything between your feet and the ground in korbanot. And as a result, when it comes to prayer as well, says Tur, it's to a certain extent modeled after the way of korbanot, um, even tefillah has the, that matter of no hatzitza. Alternatively, it has this to do with... This is sleeping, not tefillah. No, no, this is tefillah. Oh. There were two things that, Abba, that, that this Abba Sha'ul was very care- Abba bin Yamin was very careful about were number one, the sleeping in the bed, and number two, our understanding initially was that he would pray in front of his bed. They give our question, it can't be that you're praying in front of your bed, you're not allowed to have anything separating. So that's what we're focused on. Shohan Aruch in Siman, uh, in Siman Sadi has this as the halacha, in Saif Chaf you cannot, may not have anything separating between yourself and the wall. Wait a second, we have all sorts of things, even the bima we're pointing at. If you look in the Gemara on the right hand side, three Tosafot before the bottom of the page, this Tosafot, Shelo. Shelo says Tosafot, Shelo Yehe Davar Chotzet. You see that? Shelo Yehe Davar Chotzet says Tosafot, Aval, however, Milta de Kavi'ah. If it's an item which is established, which is there and not really moved off, in kigon aron, for example, a chest, the teva, another type of utensil, and zehifsek, that would not be considered something that separates. What's the logic and rationale over there? The understanding is that's in place. It's not distracting. We said was one reason for this halacha of not having something separate. And furthermore, even if we're to envision this as tur did, as similar to korbanot. But this is there. This is just part of the room. And as a result, that would not be considered tables, a, a hatitza. Tables and chairs of that sort that are not often moved. They're in their place. Not a hatitza. Says Tosafot, aval However, a bed, says Tosafot, is not kavua. In truth, you have to have that from the Gemara. The Gemara is questioning about Binyamin. Can't be that you were praying next to your bed. Bet Yosef, right here in Siman Sadi, says, but beds today 
We don't move very often. Our beds, certainly my own beds, but I imagine all of your beds, are in their place. As a result, if you were to be praying, we could discuss the halachot another time, next to a bed, the bed would not be considered a davar ha-chotzet. However, it's ideal that you, uh, says Shohan Aruch again, you're not supposed to have anything separating. It is important and noteworthy that Rif and Rosh leave this out as halacha. It's halacha, it's in Shohan Aruch, but to the extent that you're going to say that my prayer, much as my korban, is not accepted, is not valid when there is something separating, we do not say. What about a human being? It says Shohan Aruch, V'davar kavua kigon aron v'teva enam chotzesin v'chen, and so too, Ba'ale hayim enam chotzesin, animals, va'afilu adam eno chotzets, and even human beings do not either. So in short, what we have then is the halakha that ideally you want to be praying uh, close to the wall. If everyone were running to the wall in the synagogue, we wouldn't have a synagogue with more than, I don't know, 10 men or so. As a result, we stay in our place, generally speaking. We have our makom where we're praying, and anything that's in the, in the way of you... What's that? Some people, Some people specifically put a chair in front of them. Yeah, all right. I mean, you know, not, not necessarily an ideal in that respect, unless they're envisioning it like a wall. Uh, you know, quite the opposite would be the argument, but chairs will not be considered a hatitza. Last thing we wanted to address with regards to halakha before moving onward was um, three lines now in the wide lines. The very end says, Ela ema samuch lemitati. If you recall, the statement was not that I pray next to my bed, but rather that I pray right after or close to my bed. What sort of statement was that? If you recall, the interpretation to that was that prior to my prayer in the morning, I don't do other things. It's, so to speak, the vision of I wake up, I pray, and then I get on with my day. Which means to say, of course, I'm doing nitilat yadaim. But beyond nitilat yadaim, am I doing work? Am I doing exercise? And so forth. Statement in the Gemara is, and the logic being quite clear, you might end up uh, becoming overburdened by that, by becoming distracted. Um, the halacha is seemingly that you're not supposed to be doing anything prior to prayer. Shohan, excuse me, Rashi had a mahlok, and if you recall, we mentioned it last time with Tosafot, about whether this includes tif, uh, Torah as well. In other words, the halakha and the gemaraz, you shouldn't be doing anything. And this is Abba Binyamin praising himself and talking about how he was mitzta'eh, careful about this his whole life. Does that mean even studying Torah you shouldn't be doing? Rashi said, not only melacha, even studying Torah, Tosafot, if you recall, said, well, what are you talking about? Says Tosafot, lo yada'ati minale. Where did Rashi come up with this idea that you can't be praying before tefillah? In truth, as we mentioned last time, on dafhet amud alef, and Rabbi Aseh seemingly were praying in the place of their Torah. It doesn't mean they were studying beforehand, but even our Sidurim, our Sidurim has as part of them Torah at the very beginning to argue that I shouldn't be studying beforehand. Now again, Rashi's logic and rationale is my study might distract me. If it's in the prayer book, it's not exactly distracting in that respect that I'll miss Ziman Kiryat Shema. But furthermore, Rosh, and ultimately speaking, it's codified by Shohan Aruch, distinguished as follows. Says Shohan Aruch in Siman Petet, Afilu Limod Asur, Mishiyagiyah Ziman Tefillah. First and foremost, we're talking about when the time of Tefillah has already begun. 
you're an early riser, so you're, then you're allowed to be doing it, and you, once you start, you're allowed to continue. Once the time for prayer has arrived, you shouldn't be studying. It says that Shohan Aruch is basing himself on Rosh. This is specifically when I'm studying, I'm learning in a place that is not the place of prayer. If I'm studying in the place of prayer, I'm studying in my home, I'm studying in the Midrash. The prayer is in the synagogue down the block, or 10 minutes away, whatever it is. The fear is, since I started studying, started the class, started that situation beforehand, and I'm not in the place of prayer, the minyan won't begin, or the minyan will begin without me there, that's where you shouldn't be doing it. Continue Shohan Aruch, V'imhu melamed l'acherim, if you're teaching others, Afilu menoragi lelech lebet ha-keneset. You know, generally speaking, do it in the synagogue, Mutar, kevan shashah overet, zchut rabim davar gadolhu, v'im lo yilmedu achshav, yitbatelu v'lo yuchlu lilmod. He says, if it's zchut rabim, if it's a class that a person is teaching, and as a result, people won't be learning, so then we say you should be doing it even if it's prior to the prayer time, even if you're not in the place. Of course, by extension, the question would arise, I only have the opportunity to learn at this time. Happens to be before the minyan in the synagogue, and it's not in the synagogue. Well, the logic of Shohan Aruch is, this is a gezerah of Shemei Mashiach. He might be carried away. But ultimately speaking, if as a result of this gezerah, going to be mitbatel, just going to wake up later, I'm just not going to learn Torah during the day, it's quite clear that the logic does, and add to it Tosafot, who's disagreeing with Rashi about the study of Torah, it would definitely be permitted in such a of Both. If, if, you, if you just say Kiryat Shema, could you then learn, or is it after you pray the Amidah, you can learn. It's an interesting question. In other words, uh, the fear specifically, you're correct, is that it's going to miss Ziman Kiryat Shema Tefillah. You're saying to me, you just said Kiryat Shema, we're still going to fear that you're missing Ziman Tefillah. I'll go a step further, the Gemara, in just a few lines. Uh, hopefully we'll make it to it today. We'll talk about the merit of praying with the Minyan. So if you're going to miss the prayer with the Minyan, it might, not in the same way, but it might extend to a certain fear in that respect as well. Could have and would have been praying with the Minyan had I not been carried away with my study. That's a fear that they would have as well. Says the Gemara Tanya, a Beraita here, three lines from the bottom of the page, on Dafhe Amud Bet, the very first word, Tanya. Abba Binyamin Omer. This is the same rabbi whom we saw cited in the Beraitot earlier. So this is Abba Binyamin. Each of the halachot that we just addressed was either directly or indirectly brought up by Abba Binyamin in the Beraitot we saw earlier. Shenaim shenichnesu lehitpalel. If two people are praying, they're praying together, they're praying at the same time in one location. Vekadam echad mehem lehitpalel, v'lohimtin et havero v'yasa. One of those two individuals, there's only two people in the room, finishes his prayer before the other. And as a result, walks out and leaves the other one remaining in the room. His prayer, the one who finished praying and abandoned the other, leaving them alone in the room, is ripped up in his face. Of course, a reference to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not accepting his prayer. What's the logic before we see some sort of remez in the pasuk? Rif, specifically, uh, suggests that this is during uh, the nighttime. Why during the nighttime? Well, once upon a time, during the nighttime, it was dangerous 
even today, but certainly more so than when you didn't have uh, electricity, when there were more bandits and less uh, paved roads, it was dangerous to go out alone at night. Furthermore, as we know from other halachot, for example, the synagogue was outside, generally speaking, of the uh, inhabited area, which means it was dangerous. So to leave another in the room and for you to leave, and for you to go on your way is leaving that person in a perilous uh, uh, state. What's he, that? He, he left also. He's alone. I, I hear you. Uh, nobody said you did the right thing for yourself. You certainly did the wrong thing for the other. Rabbeinu Yonah adds, we're fearing mazikin. Mazikin as well is a reference to, and the Gemara will have plenty to say about mazikin and dafvava mudalif at the top, is a reference to demons of sort. We'll have to deal a little bit with that, although I'll tell you from now, Ben Ishchai in his book, Ben Yehoyada, here on the Gemara and dafvav, suggests and points out that much of the halachot and the relevant details with regards to mazikin are not to be understood by us or even appreciated today. Mazikin was a reality which the rabbis contended with. In the words of Ben Ishchai, it was during a time in which there was a koah sitra ahra, a sitra ahra, meaning this, uh, this, this uh, spirit that resided in a way. The general understanding is uh, commensurate to the merits of the people, so to the challenges they have. So as you have Yeridata Dorot, the traditional rabbinic vision is, as you become more distant from truth, so the inhibitants, uh, the, the, the matters that will inhibit you from finding truth are less, uh, are less there to, to prevent you. And as a result, we don't really contend with mazikin. Either way, he slices it. The statement is, yes, says Victor. The guy ran away on his own. He put himself, shouldn't have put himself in a dangerous place. But think about his friend. At the very least, wait for his friend. Maybe he was holding a gun. Maybe he left when it was still a little light outside, says the Gemara. We cite a pasuk as a remes to support this idea that if you leave your friend behind after praying, as the pasuk says, Toref nafsho be'apo, Toref is to tear up. Nafsho, his soul, says Rashi, we're referring to prayer. nafshi lifne amonai. Those are the words of Hannah at the beginning of Shemuel Aleph. We just read it on Rosh Hashanah. She was shofechet. She spilled out her soul, which is a reference to her prayer, says Rashi. So in the Pasuk says, Toref nafsho be'apo, be'apo, in his face, the idea is, in his face, you prayed, I took your prayer and I ripped it up. God, of course. Halma'ancha te'azev aretz vi'itak sur mimikomo is do you think, Rashi says to read this incredulously, do you think because of you, God will abandon that person who's staying behind in the room? In other words, you think you left and you left with the protection of heaven and you'll leave him behind and the Shekhinah is not there any longer? God, Kivyachol, is turning to you and saying, you made a mistake in this context by leaving and believing that you had the Shekhinah and he didn't. Um, so, so again, so that's the derasha. And furthermore, you should know, you didn't only mess up your own prayer, you caused an effect with regards to God's indwelling amongst Am Yisrael in general. As the end of the Pasuk says, Laha'atik very often in Torah language means to uproot. Vaya'atik misham hahara, it says by Abraham. He left there and he went up to the mountain. So the Pasuk says, Vaya'itak 
Sur, Sur de Gemara says, Ve'en Sur el HaKadosh Baruch Hu Sheneemar Sur Yelad Echad Te'eshi Pasuk refers to God as Sur, the strength of a strong stone or rock and as a result, Ve'yetak Sur Mimekomo from its place in Am Yisrael, you've uprooted it because I left the person behind, that's right, by not thinking about the other, by us tearing one apart one from the other. I don't care about you. Kivyachol, God says, if you're not loving one another, caring about one another, I don't want to be residing in your midst. It says the Gemara, on the flip side, if you waited for your friend, I know it's a little burdensome, it's annoying, he's still praying with all that kavana, you're finished, you just want to leave, it's nighttime, you need to get home, your wife and family are waiting for you, your husband and children are there anticipating your arrival. Why is it that he, she is still in synagogue or wherever he or she was praying. Uh, well, they were waiting for the other person. You should know there's Sachar, there's great Sachar, Marbi Yosef, Berbi Hanina, Zocheh, Laberachot Halalu. You're meriting the following blessings. Shine Emara, as the Pasuk says, Luhik Shavta Lemisvotai, in merit, and as a result of waiting for that which I commanded you, waiting for the other. Vaihi Kanahar Shilomecha. Your shalom, your peace, your serenity in life will be like a nahar, like a flowing river. And your righteousness and deeds will be like the waves of the, uh, of the sea. It's a reference to the ever-flowing and constant movement of your life and blessings. And your children, your descendants will be like sand so much. The statement is one in which an everlasting eternal blessing imagine that of course not to be taken in the full literal sense because if that's the case I'd love to just pray with you tonight in a desolate area and I'll wait for you and I have beracha for the rest of my life it's a merit which we speak about the characteristic of a person who does so and in turn the uh, discredit that a person is deserving of when they uh, neglect a having a proper appreciation for the other says the Gemara onward we'll talk a little bit now about uh, demons of sort about Mazikin. Uh, I prefaced already, I'll preface it again. I, nor anyone today, or nor for the last many years, really has a full grasp or any understanding of what the Hachamim are referring to in these contexts. It's still in the Gemara. It's imperative, in my opinion, to learn it and to understand it to a certain extent. Sometimes you can glean certain messages that are inherent, but in the physical, literal sense, there's little to nothing in terms of uh, a lesson in that respect, but nonetheless, again, it's the words of the rabbis. Now, Harambam, if you look in his Mishneh Torah very carefully, has no mention of Mazikim. Anytime the Gemara has these sorts of references, Harambam has a way of either uh, taking it out, if it's in the halachic section, or alternatively, he reinterprets it along a rational uh, direction. Again, as I told you on more than one occasion, Yamshel Shilamo, Lechemishne, many of the uh, great uh, uh, rabbis from several hundred years ago suggest that Bizman Hazeh, I told you Ben Yehoyada, now Gemara, we don't have such mazikin, we're not dealing with such demons and evil spirits and so forth. So the halachot, which we won't see here, are oftentimes diminished, not forsaken, but diminished. It means we find more loopholes as a result of the beginning, the origin no longer being a relevant reality. But nonetheless, with that introduction, says the Gemara Tanya, the Beraita, Abba bin Yamin Omer, Ilmaleh. Ilmaleh means if it were. So, we're five lines down here on the Vava Mudalif. Ilmaleh nitenare shoot la'ain lerot. If there was permission 
for our eyes, if there was an ability for our eyes to see <coughs> the demons that are, uh, that are present, the mazikin that are there as you are there, wherever you are, none of us would be able to, because of the fright, because of the anxiety, be able to exist. We'd be so nervous. We'd see them around us. They'd see the dangerous, ominous circumstances at any and every juncture in our lives. It would just be overbearing. This interpretation to the Gemara, if I remember correctly, is referenced by Rashi in his commentary to Parashat Balak. When Rashi says that the Aton sees the Malach, says Rashi, but Bil'am, being a human being, inappropriate for him to see it. Not only because he's a human, no, because human beings should not see all the angels and demons that are there. He references to a certain extent our Gemara, it's dangerous for us. Now listen, we know this. Maybe not in the context of demons, we know this in the context of our lives. Sometimes when a person is in the midst of a dangerous situation, but they're strong and they're courageous, we don't want to reveal to them uh, what's really uh, standing and looming uh, there behind them or in front of them, because ultimately speaking, their courage, their ability is going to triumph. We don't want to throw them off. Amar Abaye inhu nifishe minan. So as Abaye, they, meaning the demons, the mazikin, are nifishe, shavat vayinafash. Uh, nofesh means spread out. We say nofesh, vayinafash means he breathed. Nefesh is, is, is our soul, because God breathed that, that, uh, that soul into us. So nefesh means uh, spread out, meaning there's so many minan from us, there's so many more mazikin uh, than human beings. alan and they stand upon us, meaning they threaten us or they're surrounding us. Ki kasla she explains, that's a furrow around, uh, around a plant in a field. So you have some sort of bushel in the field and then you would, you would um, dig out around it a furrow which would be filled with water. The water would then hit the roots of that bushel so the same way that every one of the bushels is surrounded by that dig out, the ground around it is deep, so too if you envision each human being, they're surrounded by these mazikin. Again, the statement just a moment ago, if our eyes were open to that, we'd be nervous, we'd be nervous to take a step forward and move to the side and so forth. Amar Ravunah kol had vehad minan, says Ravunah further, each one of them, alfa, excuse me, of us, each one of us, Amazing statement. I can't fully explain it. It says there's a, a thousand mazikin on your left side and 10,000. Revava is a 10,000 on your right side. Just wait. There's more. A statement is uh, kala. You see, once upon a time on Shabbat, they used to have the dirashah of the rabbi, and it was known as the kala, yarche kala, for one reason or another. The dirashah, the Gemara will tell us at another juncture why it was known as that. But the rabbi would have their dirashah to the entire congregation. Even until recent times, uh, Benish Hai, according to my understanding of it, in Baghdad used to address large congregations on Shabbat afternoon. Maybe you find that today in some places. Generally speaking, I don't have anyone before Minhaj Shabbat afternoon. But you know, we're dealing with a large crowd now. Keep in mind, the large crowd is in a large space, but nonetheless, says Rava, it always feels duhaka, it always feels cramped. Why does it always feel cramped? There should be space. Logically speaking, if we do the numbers, there should be space. You want to know why it always feels cramped? Because of those mazikin. They're the ones who are cramping us. All right, there's more. Haneb birke de shileheh. 
minayu, the the knees and the legs, which are weak on uh, scholars. You want to know why? When you have a little bit of a pain in your knee and arthritis of some sort, that's from the mazikin, says Rava. Again, I can't tell you that that's the reality today. Can't tell you fully what Rava meant then, but that's his statement. Says if you look at the scholars, if you look at the Rabbanan, the rabbis of that time period, their clothing were always tattered. They're always tattered, but the rabbis weren't running around. They may have been doing business. They may have been involved with this world, but why are they wearing tattered clothing? doesn't make sense. You want to know why? It's because of the demons. They come, and they're next to them, and they're rubbing up against their clothing. That withers their clothing. You know, legs and feet more specifically, which are sometimes bruised, sometimes tripping. It's because of the mazikin who are getting in the way and causing that. If a person wants to know them, person wants to see the mazikin. I remember being taught this Gemara when I was maybe eight, nine years old in summer camp. This was scary at the time. We all thought about doing this. Maybe we'll do it in the middle of the night. We understand all the details and I'll tell you further, I can't imagine someone has done this in recent years and actually been successful. It comes back to the same point. These are not matters that we really understand. But says the same in the Gemara. You want to know them? You want to see the demons? Layete kitma nihila. Uh, what you want to do is, you should bring kitma. Uh, you should bring kitma nihila. What's kitma nihala? It's, uh, it's what's it called? Ashes, um, which were uh, sifted out in, uh, through a sifting device. And you should uh, surround your bed with those ashes. We'll talk about in a moment where these ashes are coming from. And in the morning, you'll see the feet or prints of the feet of Tarnegola. What's Tarnegola? A chicken of sorts. Haiman, that's if you want to know about these uh, these demons. So what you did is you surrounded your bed with these ashes, and then you saw the chicken markings. You understand that the uh, demons, the mazikin, were present in some respect. That's not, you didn't see them, you just knew they were present. What if I want to see them? You should bring You should bring the placenta of a shunrata. We know shunra from Hadgadya. Shunra is a cat. Uchmeta means a black. Black. So you should bring a black cat, the placenta from a black cat. Uh, it should be the black cat, the daughter of a black cat. It should be a bukhreta, the firstborn of a firstborn. It sounds like what it is, right? I mean, it sounds like out there. It is out there. Velikle binura, and you should burn that placenta in the fire. And instead of being around your bed, as we had before, if you want to know if the mazikin are present, this time, velimle ene mine, and you should fill your eyes with those ashes. Vehazelehu. And then you'll see the mazikin. Whereas in the last one, you're seeing the markings, you're seeing those feet of tarnigolet and the ashes, which you surrounded your bed with after you sifted carefully through that, uh, through those ashes. This time you're taking the ashes of the placenta and placing them in your eyes. Veleshadye begubata de parzela. 
and then those ashes from the placenta which are left over, you should leave them in a uh, in a parzalata, is barzel rashi say, an iron utensil which is empty. de parzela, and make certain that you seal it with an iron seal. Why do you want that? Dilma ganvemine, because maybe the mazikin will steal it from you. We don't want them getting their hands on the ashes of this placenta of the black cat, the daughter of the black cat, the bechor, the daughter of the bechor. Velahtom pume, and close the mouth of it. Kiechi de lalitazak, so that you don't get hezek, so that you're not harmed by the mazikin. Concludes the Gemara, this segment on mazikin, before we conclude our limud with a little bit more with regards to tefillah after this. Says the Gemara, Rav Bebai bar Abaye avad hacheh. Rav Bebai bar Abaye did so. So if you were tempted to say this entire Gemara is allegorical, it does not appear as if it is, because the Gemara now says one of the Imoraim, the son of Abaye, Rav Bebai, actually did this. So again, if you were to try it today and it doesn't work, which I'm telling you it won't, it's not because per se it never worked. I don't have a full concept, I don't have any concept of how this worked or what it was, but it's that it's not relevant to our reality today. Haza, he saw. He saw Mazikin. Ve'itazak. And in turn, he was harmed. Which is the Gemara says, the danger. Ba'ura banan The rabbis requested, um, uh, beseeched heaven. Uh, they demanded rahameh, mercy for him, meaning they prayed for him. Ve'itaseh. And he was healed, Rabbi. Let's read a little bit more here in the Gemara. Tanya aberaita. Abba bin Yamin omer. En tefilato shel adam nishma'at ela bebeta keneset. The statement is the prayer of a person is only heard in a kenis, in a synagogue. Does it really mean it's only heard? Or it means it's ideal to pray in a synagogue. So of course, to say that you can't pray elsewhere would be tantamount to saying that our synagogues are the only place of prayer. We know that not to be the case. However, the strong and important words of Shohan Aruch, famous words in Siman Sadiq, Sa'iftet are yishtadel adam lihitpalel bebet ha-keneset im ha-sibur. A person should strive to pray together with the congregation in the synagogue. Of course, the question arises, we can address separately, what if you have a minyan at home and no minyan in the synagogue? Is, uh, what's, what's the proper direction over there? The Gemara is saying that bebet But you're in the kenis without a minyan, you know they're not necessarily going to get a minyan. What about praying at home where you would have a minyan or in someone's home? Unfortunately, Jewish communities uh, forever have always had mahlok, and as a result, there's breakaway minyans. The synagogue lost their minyan because the breakaway minyan are now in someone's home. Where are you supposed to pray? Well, I don't want you involved in the, uh, embroiled in the, in the mahlok or any of that sort. However, the halakha is, Mishnah Burah cites it from Piri Megadim, the halakha is, in that circumstance, you prefer the minyan to the knis. Now, each of these, just in the rational sense, very clearly, Aid kavana. When you're in a synagogue, which is a place purposed for prayer, you have best intention. When you're t- surrounded by people who are praying, uh, perhaps the statement is you're even more aided. If you're in an empty synagogue, you might have a certain kavana. If you're together with people who are sharing with the you in prayer, that's uh, the uh, more ideal under those circumstances. Says the Gemara Shene Emar, as the Pasuk says, somewhat supporting this idea, the Pasuk says, Lishmoa el harina. Pasuk describes listening to the rina ve'el ha-tefila. Pasuk talks about listening to the rina and tefila. What's rina? Rina is song, melody, praise in that respect. 
when we sing individually, unless you have a wonderful voice and know how to manipulate it, generally speaking, is not as beautiful as, I certainly know this from my mother, my mother got married to my, my father many years ago, and she said, I can't appreciate the Syrian uh, pismonim. He was working to teach her on Shabbat until she went to her first Sebet. And her first Sebet, she said, now she understands it. She said, when everyone sings together, there's a certain beauty to it. When we're singing, just me and you, she said to my father, she, she reminisced and told me this, because I don't really appreciate it. Rina is best felt when you're together with the congregation. And b'makom rina, sham tefila. Ideally, tefila should be in the place where there's the rina, where there's many people adding to this melody, which kind of supports what I mentioned a moment ago, that the strength of the synagogue, of the kenis, is really the kenis, the fact that you're gathered there, that there's many people together. This is not, as Maharsha points out, contradicting the Gemara and the Aleph. The Gemara later on says, we learn from this pasuk that you should start your prayer with matters of praise. You talk to God, you sing out his praise. We do that, of course, in our, and yeah. well, we do that at the beginning of the of the Sidur, right? We yeah. have the, uh, the, we have the Bekot HaShachar, and then we have Tefillat and so forth, and only then do we have Bakashot, even in the Amidah, we have Shevach, and then Bakasha, and then Hoda'ah, we have Shevach, initially, that's not contradicting this, it's the same concept. What underlies a synagogue is a certain unity of crowd, we have a great emotional output, we pour no out question. together, and then we can best request from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In our personal prayers, it's very much the same way. All right, we'll continue here in the Gemara next time with regards to the merit of Tefillah Bebet HaKenesa Baruch Amen Amen.